Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. You can turn there if you like. Um, Hey, Merry Christmas. This is the third Sunday of Advent. This is the Christmas season. Philippians is not the most Christmassy book of the Bible, like the start of Matthew or Luke. But you know what? It might turn out to be the case that our passage today is a little more Christmassy than you thought. We'll see. Let's read the passage, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that comes to us to give us light and to convict us of sin and to encourage us and to give us joy. I pray that you would bless me as I speak, that what I say would be pleasing to you, would be true to your word. I pray that you would be with every heart here to receive your word and uh, to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so far in the book of Philippians, Paul has done really just two things. Number one is that he's held himself up to be imitated as a model. That's number one. He's given himself as an example of Christian love and service. So remember, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why does he say that? So that someday we could have a Christian museum. Here were the Apostle Paul's thoughts. Here they are preserved in amber. Such what a weird guy, the Apostle Paul. No, he says that because he's giving that to the Philippians. Here's how I think because this is how you should think, right? This is how you should feel. So that's, that's, for, that's for you to imitate. And then he talks about how he thinks about being in prison in other ways too. He, thought, he talks about the way he thinks about the gospel ministry. While I'm in prison, there are a lot of posers on the outside who want to stir up trouble for me by preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. They want to be bigger than me. And that's why they're preaching Christ. And I know that. And they know that I know that. But you know what? Christ is being preached, so I'm happy. So he's teaching the Philippians, here's how you should process your life as a Christian. Here's how you should think about things. Follow me, imitate me. And the second thing that Paul has done is is to say, live as citizens worthy of Christ. And he talks to them about specific things he wants them to do for a while. So that's like from the end of chapter 1, from verse 27 until our passage today starts. And at the heart of that, at the heart of live as citizens of the gospel of Christ is, 
Here's the central model for all of us, for the whole Christian life, which is Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Be like him. So imitate me, imitate Jesus. And then today, here are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Here are two more dudes to imitate. Be like them. Honor men who are like them. And that's, well, next time we get into Philippians, whenever that is, what Paul's going to do is hold up a bad model. Here are some people you shouldn't be like. Don't imitate them. The dogs, he calls them. It's very intense. Instead, be like, can you even guess what he says? Don't be like them. Be like, anyone want to take a guess? Can't be Jake. Be like Jesus. That is a good guess. No, don't be like them. Be like me. This is how I am. Be like me. Don't follow their example. Paul will even say at the end of that section, imitate me. After that, he's going to talk to the Philippians a little bit more about how to live in imitation of Christ. And and there's a few specific commands he gives them. You know what one of those commands is? It is, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Okay, imitate me again and again and again. Keeps going. So everything in Philippians is about imitating godly models. It's about, it's about modeling. Let's talk about modeling. No, not that kind of modeling. Um, like modeling behavior. No one laughed at that at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> David, I, I, I'm glad you're smiling. Um, it's what you parents do for your kids. It's what bosses do for their employees. It's what older brothers and sisters do for their younger brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean that they do a good job. Doesn't mean that you do a good job. But you know what you can't help doing? You can't help modeling something to someone. Can't help it. There's always someone who looks up to you, someone you're in charge of, whether that's parenting or just being the older kid in the classroom. Doesn't matter. Being the taller kid in the classroom, that might even do it. You're going to model something. Ian Blaylock? Um, Because you're tall. Uh, And that's just how it goes. So are you modeling? Are you modeling anger? Out-of-control anger? Or are you modeling self-control? Are you modeling insecurity? Or are you modeling confidence? Are you modeling godliness and a fear of God? Or are you modeling godlessness? You are modeling something. And all of us have had things modeled to us Some of those things we wish were different. We wish maybe, especially when we think about wounds from our parents, if you're from a divorced family, um, as I am, you think, I wish my parents had modeled this to me instead of those things that led to a divorce. We all have a lot of wounds, actually, when it gets down to it, about what has and hasn't been given to us in that respect. So it's, it's a relief. Would you agree it's a relief to come to Scripture and have a model? that's the Apostle Paul, that's Jesus, that's Paul saying, here is godliness in these two guys. Imitate this. It's something to follow that doesn't leave you to yourself or to your own personal history. It's something Jesus gives you as a gift that helps you see what, what does God's love look like? What, what does it look like to even feel emotionally whole like a person should? There's an awful lot of emotions in Philippians, in case you hadn't noticed. More almost than we can bear. So much affection going around, it's like, do you really feel that way, Paul? Do you really mean that? You keep talking about your affection and love and the warmth you feel. Is it real? It's real. It's not fake. It's not a put-on. 
And that's being modeled for us. So, what I, what I want to say is um, that this, this letter and our passage today, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas because it's all about a gift exchange. You didn't know this was going to be a Christmas sermon, but Christian love looks and feels like a gift exchange. That's what it looks like. And that's what these guys are doing, Timothy and Epaphroditus. In fact, the whole letter, step back a second, think about the whole letter. It's a response to what? A financial gift sent through Epaphroditus, which we'll talk about. That's all it is. The Philippians sent Paul a gift. Paul sends them a letter. And in the letter, he's talking all about giving and receiving. All right. Some of the gifts in this letter we may not think of as gifts because we just don't think about them. A PlayStation is a gift. Kindness is not a gift, but that's wrong. Kindness is a gift and is a better gift than a PlayStation. So let's just talk about these two men for a minute. Starting in verse 19 again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. What's that? Well, that, you just learned something else about Paul, actually, not Timothy. What does Paul want? Paul wants a gift. What is the gift? He wants to be cheered up by news of you, you the Philippians. Paul will send Timothy. Timothy will see how everyone's doing. Timothy will come back and Paul will be cheered up. Well, hopefully. Sometimes when you get news, it's not a welcome gift. Paul would often get news about the churches he planted that was not welcome because it was bad news. Now it was welcome because Paul cared about them and loved them, wanted to know how they were, even if it was bad. But what he wants from the Philippians is to be cheered up. He expects, actually, they will cheer him up when he learns how they're doing. So then Paul says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This tells you a lot about who Timothy is, as someone to imitate. Timothy, Timothy is Paul's son, his spiritual child. There are two other letters in the New Testament written to Timothy um, at a time when Timothy and Paul weren't together, obviously. Timothy was in the city of Ephesus, planting churches, establishing pastors and elders, keeping good order, keeping sound doctrine. And Paul was writing him at the end of his life or near the end of his life in those letters. But Timothy and Paul had a very close and sweet relationship That's something right there, because in the church, relationships like that are supposed to exist, and they're not supposed to be the exception. They're supposed to be a degree of of sweetness, and they're supposed to be a degree of, Paul didn't have natural children that we know of, but Paul had Timothy, and Timothy was his child, and Timothy was someone he poured himself into spiritually. You're supposed to do that with your own kids. You're supposed to pour yourself into them spiritually. But there are other kids in church who need your love. Maybe some of them are fatherless or motherless. Maybe they're not. But there's plenty of love to go around in the church. And this, this idea of Timothy following Paul is sweet because it wasn't the norm. It wasn't the norm. Paul, what did imitating Paul look like? It looked like imitating a hard life of suffering for Christ. And a lot of people abandoned Paul in the course of his ministry. And if you see someone suffering for Christ, 
you might be tempted to abandon them too. It's a pretty natural temptation. Why do I want to be near the source of trouble if you're bringing down pain from your neighborhood or the government or something? China is maybe an easier example than here because that kind of thing happens in China. The government comes down and if you're associated with a certain pastor, they might pull you into jail too. Here we don't feel those same kinds of pressures, but give it time, we may someday. In any case, we all feel the pressure of your reputation stinks because you spoke the truth at the wrong time to people who are not open to you. And now we're all being punished if we're associated with you. Punished by social pressure, punished by gossip and rumors. Timothy, Timothy is a good example for us of courage, of sticking close when the going gets tough. When those who lead us in particular, whether that's our parents, our pastors, our bosses maybe, I don't know, when those who lead us are punished for the right reasons, for following Jesus. We don't step away and say, I'm just going to keep my distance here. Let's just disassociate it a little for a while. Timothy wasn't like that. Another thing about Timothy, imagine, imagine that you were very old and on your deathbed and you had a friend and you just wanted, you wanted to go and see your friend, but you couldn't. You were stuck. Paul's stuck in prison. And but you had a son, you had a daughter, and they were dear to you. They were near to you. And if you loved someone, they loved them. And you knew you could send them. You could send them to your old friend. And it would be like sending yourself. And that's how it was. It was like Paul was sending himself when he sent Timothy. Timothy represented Paul. Timothy also, it says, has proven himself in gospel ministry. He's not like the posers, the people who why are they preaching the gospel? Well, they want to build their own kingdom. That's why. They may be preaching the true gospel, but we, we all know why they're doing it. And it's not because of love of Jesus or love of his people. It's because of love of the reputation that comes from being an awesome preacher or a super apostle or whatever it is. But Timothy is not like that. Timothy has proven himself through service. So there's something to imitate. Do we prove ourselves through service to Christ? Service to Christ is not very glamorous most of the time. A lot of it is very small. We give each other very small gifts that no one else sees. Speak a kind word to someone. You're just, you're paying enough attention to know they need a kind word. You're paying enough attention to know they're having a bad day. You remembered that this is the anniversary of something really rough or hard in their life. The death of a loved one or something you pray for them. Prayer, what kind of a gift is prayer? No one even sees it if you do it alone. <laughs> kind of lame. It's not like, I don't know, socks or a PlayStation or something. But it's a gift. It's a gift that God sees and it's a beautiful gift. And it's a gift that means something. Small gifts. Our lives are made up of them. Praying for each other. Timothy's life was made up of service. And he proved himself he proved that he was locked on to the love of Christ. So next is Epaphroditus. Paul, the first thing he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So Epaphroditus is probably the one who carried this letter from Paul to the Philippian church, right? The Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus with the gift of money. And Epaphroditus is likely the one 
who's coming back with this letter. So remember what, what I said about Timothy. Paul is like sending himself through Timothy, right? Well, the Philippian church is the same. They were sending themselves by sending Epaphroditus. This is the nature even of financial gifts inside the church. You gave us some really fun baskets. I didn't get a chance to even look at the whole thing. It's very sweet. And I didn't take it as a financial transaction, right? It's a token. It's a token of something. Whatever you give is a token of love, affection, kindness, trust. Financial gifts in the church. The Philippians sending this financial gift to Paul. What are they doing? Paul, here's your check. See you later. You know, keep us updated with your ministry reports. No, the Philippians love Paul. They send Epaphroditus. He carries their love. That's the nature of financial giving in the church too. It's about love. It's about service together and united service to the king, Jesus. So Paul receives Epaphroditus as a gift. You can see it from the way he talks about him. He's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Mine, Epaphroditus, belongs to me. And only after that does he say, your messenger, minister to my need. Paul loves Epaphroditus. He has a unity with Epaphroditus because they're both Christians. They're both working for the Lord. The first thing that he wants to stress is we are a family. We have a family relationship, me and Epaphroditus, me and you. Also, you sent him to help me with a particular thing. I needed money. You knew that. So Epaphroditus is an example of service. And, and he's an example of unity. Epaphroditus, in verse 26, has been longing for the Philippian church. He misses, he misses his church family. <laughs> and that's a good example for us. Do we have the kind of affection where if I miss a Sunday, do I miss you? If you miss a Sunday, do you miss me? Or pick someone else? <laughs> do we miss each other? That's how a church is supposed to feel. It's because that affection is supposed to be like a basic part of our lives. It's never perfect, and it's often not easy. Not everyone here is natural friends, I hate to tell you. But that is better than just having, what do you just want people that you vibe with? It's better to have people you share, you share love and life with because of what Christ has done. That's better. That's higher. That's sweeter. That's what Jesus has created. And you think of, you think of Epaphrod, what it's saying about Epaphroditus here. So he was ill and near to death, and he was longing for the Philippian church. So why was he longing for them? Well, because he got really sick, and he almost died. That's why he was longing for them. Well, if you're, if you're almost sick, and you're going to die, usually you worry about yourself. No, no. Epaphroditus He's worried about, so when I got really sick and I started to die, I started thinking about how everyone else would feel back home when they heard I was dying, and that made me really distressed. They're going to be so worried for me. Crud. I've got to get well so I can go ease their minds. Right? Is that how we think about being near to death? Everyone I love is going to be worried about me. Okay, that's Epaphroditus for you. And it's not fake. Epaphroditus is not did not inspire a line of Hallmark cards. Epaphroditus is a real person who felt that way. He loved these people. And instantly, of course, Paul says, God spared him. He had mercy on his life and on me. Because if Epaphroditus had died, that would just be a blow that I couldn't take. I have enough sorrows in my life. 
I've seen a lot of friends die. I've been beaten a lot of times. I've had a lot of disappointments. I have a lot of churches with a lot of problems. I don't need Epaphroditus to die. Thank you, God, for not taking him away. So, oh, by the way, some, some Christians in the Bible, they get martyred for their faith, right? Stephen, one of the first deacons. We're just talking about deacons this morning in Sunday school. It's in the book of Acts. He gets stoned to death for being a faithful servant of God. James gets beheaded early on in the book of Acts. Paphroditus, he almost dies of a bad cold or something. It's not very, it's not very impressive as martyrs go. He wouldn't have been a martyr, technically. So imagine this. You are a soldier. You're fighting in another country. You survive a couple of tours of duty. You come home. You step on a rusty nail. You get tetanus and you die. Wouldn't you rather have died, you know, in that foreign country, gloriously fighting for your country or whatever? <laughs> well, yeah. And, uh, but but what, does Paul, what does Paul say about this nearly glorious death of Epaphroditus? Paul just sees it for what it is. Paul sees it for what it is. Epaphroditus is risking his life to serve Jesus. He almost got a bad cold and died or something. Sometimes the way that we love and give to each other is pretty unimpressive and it exposes us to little risks. Like, for instance, don't we all take for granted everyone who works in the nursery? Amanda, Mensel, and everyone who helps. Those kids have colds. Sometimes if you work in the nursery, you work with kids, you wipe their runny noses, you get sick. Now, even if that doesn't lead to pneumonia and death, which we hope it won't, um, they are actually, think about this, they're risking their health on a very small scale to love and serve your kids and theirs. That's actually true. That is a physical bodily risk they take, and it's not because we're paying them, because we don't pay them. It's because they love Jesus. It's because they love you. It's because they love those kids. These are the kinds of risks that Christians have taken for centuries. Sometimes that means visiting someone in a time of plague. Sometimes that means this, for instance, when the Black Plague was sweeping Europe and stuff, pastors would go visit. Now, that was a much clearer example of, I am going to risk my death by going to visit someone who's contagious. I may die. I can easily get the Black Plague and die. But don't despise the little risks. Epaphroditus almost died like that. What a puny death. No, it's not. It's, it's big. Serving the body of Christ. So Paul says to honor men like this. And, and does it occur to us to want to honor men and women like this who serve in the nursery? Do we want to be like this ourselves? Do we want to be a community where things like this are honored? So what do you, do you feel like you're getting some good modeling? Think about Paul again. Even in prison, Paul has something to give. This is a gift exchange. What does Paul give? Paul sends his love through a letter to the Philippians. Paul's in prison. Being in prison, I've heard, is not that great for your spirits, typically. In the New Testament, you see people singing in jail because they're in jail for Christ. In the New Testament, you see people sending letters like this. You see them full of love. In the, the worst of circumstances, he gives his love through his spiritual son Timothy. He gives his love through the way he sends Epaphroditus home. And in, in these gifts, what is it he's giving? What is it he's giving? It's the love of Jesus. So Philippians... I mean, I don't know that I would have thought of this if I hadn't preached this around Christmas, but Philippians is a Christmas letter. 
at the center of it is Jesus being born, right, as a baby, so that he could die for us, the gift of God's love. He gave himself as a living gift to love us and save us. And the same thing is happening here. Paul is just trying to imitate Jesus. Timothy, Epaphroditus, the Philippian church, the whole church, they're just trying to imitate Jesus. They're trying to be channels of the love of Christ. So let me ask you this. Do you, when you think about these guys, do you see something that you don't have and that you want? I do. Do you see, do you see like a love, a commitment, an intimacy, a kindness, a care for each other that you want? That you want more for yourself, that you want from people, but your main privilege is actually to give it, to give it yourself. So if you do see that, Merry Christmas. This passage is for you. This is a gift to you. It, you can imitate what you've seen. There are little ways we all can imitate what we've seen. Here's a gift you can give. You can, you can work to control your anger so that you're more enjoyable to be around for people inside your home, your roommates. You can work to smile a little more and enjoy the fact that it's Christmas. That's a nice gift, actually. That's a nice gift. As my wife reminds me, when I wake up gloomy and in a bad mood, and she's trying to enjoy Christmas, and I'm annoyed that she wants to enjoy Christmas, it's the morning, I'm, I'm, I'm a busy man. No, I should give her the gift of being cheerful. That's a gift. That's a gift. And we all actually, now the more you think about that, what you ought to realize again is that you take in I don't know how many thousands of these gifts all the time from God, specifically from God's people to you. Every Sunday, you are getting gifts and gifts and you are giving gifts and gifts. And it's worth thinking about that and not taking for granted. People are kind to you. They love you. They forgive you. They care about you. It's a nice gift. It's a nice gift. You can give the gift of... Now, your sin is not a gift to the church, actually. But you know it is a gift to the church confessing your sin. That's a gift to the church. Confess your sin to a pastor. Confess your sin to someone you trust. Confess your sin. It's a way of bringing light into the darkness. That's a great gift. That's a wonderful gift. It is a gift of, you're giving, you're giving the person you confess to the chance to watch Jesus work. That is the spirit of God moving. So speaking of sin, as we try to be gifts to each other, we'll sin. We are sinners. You're going to find yourself dealing with other people's ungratefulness or their unresponsiveness or their bitterness or their, and you find, you'll find yourself dealing with your own. You can't stop it from happening. Can't stop it. It's okay. Our, our, we, we do the best we can and we just have to work not to shut each other out. We have to work to be open-hearted to each other. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are a gift to you from God. And you are a gift to them, like it or not. It's not an easy calling, but it is, it doesn't have to be easy to be true and to be, to be sweet. In Christ, it's true and it's sweet. So Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, you are a great and mighty God and you give wonderful gifts. You give gifts to us every day. You give gifts of life and breath. You give the gift of salvation, especially through the gift of your Son. We want to be a people who receives these gifts with joy, the way that Paul does, the way that the Philippians did. We want to be a people who become channels of your love, who give to one another. 
we want to be this kind of people and have this kind of love through, through the hard times and the good times. And I pray that we would have it this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.